Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So I want to continue talking about sowing and reaping today, but I want to talk about how practical sowing and reaping is because it can be a theory for us where it's very cerebral, which means it's very much in my brain and it's theoretical and it's academic, but actually it's practical. And so I want to look at four people in the Bible who sowed and reaped, and we're going to see how we can do the same. And if you missed last week's sermon and the weeks before, please look them up online because there is a lot in there for you. So the first person or people I want to look at is Lois and Eunice. Have you ever heard of Lois and Eunice in the Bible? Amazing heroes. It's a grandmother and a mother who brought up a boy and he changed the world. So, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. And he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. So there was this lady Lois and Eunice, and they brought up this boy Timothy. But what was it that they sowed into Timothy when he was a little lad that bore fruit when he was big? 2 Timothy 3 verse 15 says, From childhood, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy knew the Bible from a little age, a young boy. He knew the scriptures. They were put into him. His grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, sowed the word of God into Timothy, probably through Bible readings, maybe on their screensaver, on their computer, which they had in those days. You're just going to have to believe me on this one. They had a scripture that came up on the, on the computer. Maybe in the car, on the dashboard, they put a little scripture. Maybe in the bathroom, on the back of the bathroom door, they put up a scripture. Maybe they had scriptures playing on the radio every day. I don't know what they did, but they put the word of God into Timothy when he was a young boy and it bore fruit. You say to me, why do you think sowing and reaping is about putting God's word into something? Because Jesus said, the first parable Jesus ever told, the most important parable he ever told, he said to his disciples, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the other parables. And it was about sowing and reaping. A farmer went out to sow the seed and it was the word. And the word bore fruit, depending on how good the soil was. Some soil was hard, some was open, some was willing partially, some was mixed up with other stuff. But depending on how good the soil was, the seed bore fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. And in Timothy it bore fruit. Let's read 2 Timothy 3. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The first fruit that this, the Bible can bear in a child's life is salvation. But then it goes on to say, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is profitable. That means helpful, useful, wonderful, profitable for doctrine, teaching, reproof, rebuking, correction, getting you in line, and instruction, teaching in righteousness, that the man of God, listen to this, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to 
end this first section by saying, if you sow the word of God into your children's lives, into your life, into other people's lives, if you sow the word of God, it will result in you being complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work, bearing fruit. Sowing and reaping involves putting God's word into our hearts and into the hearts of those we love. Amen? You say, wow, I didn't think of sowing and reaping in those terms. Every scripture you memorize bears fruit. And even if you don't memorize it, even if you say, like the writer of Hebrews, it says somewhere in the Bible, and you vaguely quote it, the fact that you've got it into your heart, it's bearing fruit. Amen? Get it in there. It will change your life. That's by far the most important one. You say, how do I do this? Well, it starts with a decision. It starts with deciding I'm going to read God's word. And then there's a little bit of discipline and effort involved where you say, I'm going to study God's word. I'm going to dig deep into God's word. I'm going to read books around God's word. I'm going to learn it. And then memorizing scriptures. If you can memorize one scripture a week, it will change your life forever. You'll find when you're in a tough situation, God's word just comes out and it changes you. Amen? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Right, I must move on. Number two, Simon. Which Simon am I talking about? Not Simon Peter. Not Simon the sorcerer. There was another Simon in Mark chapter 15. It says, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian. He was an African man. The father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Whose cross did he bear? Jesus's. Simon was coming with his two young lads, Alexander and Rufus, to Jerusalem. They wanted to worship God. Even though they were not Jews, they were from Africa, they wanted to come and worship God at the time of Passover. They're walking along and there's a lovely song where it talks about a little boy with his dad and, and the little boy says, Daddy, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And his father points at Jesus and says, there's the lamb. And it's based on this story where Simon takes his little lads and then they see Jesus struggling with his cross up the hill. He's been battered and beaten. And they say to Simon, you will carry Jesus' cross. And because Simon carried the cross of Jesus, and this is the second type of sowing, where I carry the load with other Christians or definitely with Jesus, and I say, Lord, I'm willing to carry some load of what you are doing because it involves some work and some sweat and some effort. If I sow effort into God's kingdom, like Simon carried Jesus' cross, you say, what is the fruit? Romans chapter 16, verse 13, written 30 years later. Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Fruit was born from Simon carrying Jesus' cross. His son Rufus and his wife, Rufus's mother, were pillars of the church in Rome 30 years later. They were hugely important figures in the church. Why? Because a man decided, I'm going to sow into God's work and I'm going to carry something, and even if it involves effort. Can I say, parents, if your children see you getting up early, serving the Lord, working, sacrificing for God's kingdom, they may complain at the time. They may say, Mom or Dad, why do we have to go to church so early? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? But I want to tell you, it will bear fruit in their lives in 30 years' time. They will have a foundation laid 
where they will start to serve the Lord. Obviously, there are differences. I was talking to a person this week and they were saying, you know, my children are 30 years old and they're not serving the Lord anymore. Is it my fault? There's a verse in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, where he says, elders and deacons, children must serve the Lord and must obey and be orderly. But I believe that children end at about the age of 18 and after that you've got to just pray and trust. And if your family members who are adult children don't serve the Lord, you know, even God's children, Adam and Eve, turned away from him. There is a place where you've got to say they're now adults and they make their choice. And even with the best upbringing, some people will turn away. But when they're children in your home, when you still have control over them, you can say, we're going to church. We're doing this. We're doing that. We don't have that kind of music in our home. And this is the sowing where we serve the Lord and our children watch us. And 30 years later, Rufus and his mother were serving the Lord. You ready for number three? Sowing and reaping. The third one is John. This is John the Apostle. Finally, Greg, you're talking about someone I've heard of before. John the Apostle, when he first met Jesus, was an angry and a violent man. Did you know that? We think of John as the apostle of love. You read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, and you see John as a loving person. In 1, 2, and 3 John, he uses the word love and beloved so much. He uses the word my little children. He talks about love, 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 love one another, love your brothers. He's the apostle of love and kindness. He's like a gentle man, John, at the end of his life. But listen to the beginning of his life. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, came to Jesus, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Why did he call them sons of thunder? Why would he give them a nickname called sons of thunder? I'll tell you why. Listen to Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, that's a city that wasn't receiving Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. James and John were the sons of thunder when they met Jesus. They were angry men. They had a violent temper. They would fly off the handle. And by the end, John was the gentle apostle of love. That's what he reaped. What did he sow? And what he sowed was time and intimacy with Jesus. Nobody was closer to Jesus than John. Did you know that? Again and again, he is called the apostle that Jesus loved because he spent so much time with Jesus. Listen to this verse, John 13, verse 23. This is at the Last Supper where they're having supper with Jesus. And it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. All the disciples are eating and drinking and enjoying time with Jesus and enjoying the food and enjoying the fellowship. But there's one who wants to get so close to Jesus, a little bit annoying, I would have thought, but he climbs right up and lays his head on Jesus' chest. That is intimacy. You say to me, how do I do that? 
You get alone with God. You set aside half an hour or an hour, depending on how much time you can spend. You block off all distractions. You turn your phone off and everyone else must leave you alone. I like to go for walks because then nobody can disturb me. And you say, Lord, I'm just focusing on you. And God, this is what's in my heart. And you honestly pour out your heart to him. And then you listen to his voice. You tell him how great he is. You spend time with him. And I want to tell you, that hour that you've spent is not an hour that's just gone forever. You have sowed a seed that will result in your character being changed and become more like Jesus. How do we sow practically? We sow the word of God. We sow service. We sow time with Jesus. Amen? It really, really does work. The thing about sowing seed is that there is a time element to it. There's a seasonal element to it, isn't there? A a farmer sows a seed, but he knows there must be time for the seed to germinate and to bear a crop. And it's the same with us. We've got to sow and be patient. Galatians 6 talks about, do not be deceived. A man will reap what he sows. And it talks about us sowing, but then it says, if we endure and do not lose heart, we will reap. There is a time period, and we've got to put in over consistent time the word of God, the service to God, the time spent in God's presence. Can I just ask you, before I go on, just for you to say right now, Lord, I want to make a decision today that from now on, I will spend time in your presence without the distractions. I will just gaze on you and love you and tell you how much I love you. Lord, I will spend time serving you, whether it means going out on the streets on a Saturday morning, whether it means helping in church, uh, whether it means helping the poor, whatever it is, Lord, I will put in some effort to carry the cross. Lord, I will put your word into my heart. I may have to start small with just one or two verses a day, but I will put your word into my heart and watch what happens. Right, there's one more. The Philippians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is boasting to another church about the Philippians, who he also calls the Macedonians. They're the same people. They've got two different names. And he says this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So the churches of Macedonia, the Philippians, had grace on them. Grace means God's kindness, blessing, just favor. Um, Miracles are happening there. The grace of God is bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, so they're having a hard time, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity. They were sowing money. Let me read on. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing and imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They implored Paul, please can we give you some more money? There was something unusual about this Philippian church. Let me read another passage, Philippians 4 verse 14, where Paul is writing to the Philippians. And he says this, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. 
Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. There was something about this Philippian church. They just loved to give. They wanted to be part of the, the resourcing of Paul's work to spread the gospel. And he says, you were the only ones who were involved in giving and receiving. What's the receiving? Well, sowing and reaping. But we're going to see that in a minute. He says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. They just kept giving. The passage we read a couple of moments ago said they implored, they begged Paul that they could give him more. They were just super generous Christians. There were a couple of people like this when I was at Bible school. There was one man. Every term, people had to line up and pay their fees for Bible school for the term. And a lot of people struggled to pay their fees. And they would get to the window. They would say, I know I owe $900, but I can only pay this much. Can I make a plan? And, and there was one man who would go and stand there in that line, and he would look for people that he could pay their fees for them. And he had this huge happiness about him, a, a smile on his face. He loved, loved, loved to give. It was his adventure in life, was to be generous. And the Philippians were like that. Let's read on. He says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift. Paul says, I'm not asking you for this money, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What is fruit? It's what you reap. When you sow a seed, you reap some fruit. He says, I'm so excited that you're giving and sharing with me in this work because you're going to get fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. They'd sent another gift with a guy called Epaphroditus. He said, thank you. That's wonderful. I've got everything I need. Um, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This church had learnt that when we give, we receive. Now there is an error that has been taught that you give to receive. And that is an error. Some people think, I'm going to give lots because then I'm going to get rich. And that's the wrong motive. That's not what it's all about. Let's read on in, I'm going flipping back to 2 Corinthians. Remember I read a passage where Paul was boasting about the Philippians to the Corinthians. I'm going to read on in chapter 9. He says in verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So Paul is now talking to the Corinthians. He's been boasting about the Philippians who are super cheerful givers. And now he says, I'm warning you, in advance so that you can prepare this gift, but I want it to be generosity, not obligation. You shouldn't feel like this heavy weight saying you must, you must, you must. It should be a willing gift. Then he goes on to say, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Okay, so there is a principle of giving not just money in many areas, but money is included. If I sow, I will reap. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes or decides beforehand in his heart, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, not because somebody's pressurizing you. For God loves a cheerful giver. He's thinking of the Philippians again. And then he goes on to say, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, in other words, you'll always have enough, may have an abundance for every good work. The abundance that comes is not for you to buy a Mercedes, although it's okay if you want to, but the abundance is for every good work. The idea is of us not being a reservoir where we give so that we can fill our reservoir, but rather of us being a channel, a pipe, a conduit. We give so that the blessing can just be given and flow through us again to be given to others. It's for others to have good work. And when that happens, when God sees that my hand is open, then he can just continually start pouring money and blessings through it. It's not about... Us getting rich. It's about us being a channel that works with God to bless others. And I want to tell you, it is the most exciting and joyful experience in the world. It really is. I could tell you so many stories in my life and many others that I know of people who have given and received and they continue to give. And the adventure, the excitement. You know, some of the, the greatest heroes of faith that I've ever met are not pastors or preachers. They are businessmen who have learned about sowing and reaping. And they use their business and the income that they generate to fund God's kingdom. And they are so full of faith. And they have such a vibrant relationship with Jesus because they've learned this principle. It's an exciting adventure, sowing and reaping, and watching God's kingdom grow and saying, Lord, how can I channel finances for your kingdom? It's wonderful. Let me read on. Uh, verse 9, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, notice there's two things there. In your wallet, some of it is seed to be sown and some of it is bread to be eaten. He says God gives you both, the seed and the bread. The problem is you can't tell the difference. They both look like pounds and pence. Now may he who supply seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. The reason for sowing and reaping is so that we can continue to bless others. So I've shown you four ways that we sow and reap. There are others, but if you start with these four, your Christian life will take off like an airplane. You say to me, Greg, this is too simple. Read the Bible, spend time with God, serve in church, give money. I've heard these before. Yes, but have you done them? That's the issue. And if you haven't, I want to challenge you today. Let's do a 30-day challenge. Let's say, Lord, I'm going to trust you and try this out. In Malachi, God says, test me in this and see if I'm not faithful. Try setting aside time for God in worship. Time for God to study his word. Time for God to serve him and money for God and say, God, I'm going to try this for 30 days and I guarantee you at the end of 30 days, you will not want to go back. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, God, that you involve us. Just like you involved Adam and Eve in sowing and reaping and, and extending your, 
your power across the planet. I thank you that you involve me and our, my brothers and sisters, Lord. And God, we want to be used by you. God, many of us have reached a ceiling, a limit in our Christian life. And we want to go on. We want to grow some more. And so I thank you today, Lord, for something that breaks that ceiling. Something that changes in our lives today. Lord, I just thank you for a grace that settles on us here today. I thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your love. God, I thank you that you dispel condemnation for people who are feeling guilty right now. I thank you that you dispel condemnation. So we don't feel guilty. We just look forward with anticipation to the future. Thank you that you forgive us for our lack of involvement and our lack of commitment in the past. And I thank you, God, for fresh start from today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.